Good morning, Edge City Little Neck. Uh, so good to see you. Uh, my name is uh, Finn. I serve as a lead pastor at the uh, Mineola campus. Uh, myself, Josh, Ed, Priscilla, we're so uh, grateful to be here uh, with you today. Uh, so um, it's Halloween, right? And so uh, we are continuing our series on encounters with Jesus. And so as this world is coming together, celebrating Halloween, and we have our alternative after service. How many of you guys are excited about two o'clock, two to four? It's going to be such a great time. We are going to be loving on this community right here at Little Neck. So I want to invite you to come out for that. So it's this Halloween theme going on, right? So I thought, you know what? It's just fitting that we talk about Jesus encountering the devil. Dun, 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 dun. I wish I talked to you, Ed, and maybe you could put some music in the background, like some scary music or something like that. But we're going to be talking about Jesus's encounter with the devil. And so would you join me in a word of prayer uh, before we begin? Uh, Father God, we just come before you right now, Lord. Uh, Father, I just I just pray for these next few moments. Thank you for moving already during our time of worship. Lord, I pray for these next few moments that you will move in a deeper way, that I will just absolutely get out of the way and not be seen. And Lord, that you will get all the glory, honor, and praise for what you're going to be doing this morning. I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. So what we need to know this morning as I begin is if you are going to follow Jesus, right, if, as the leader of your life, you have to know that you have an enemy. There is an enemy to your life, and his name is Satan. Now, I want you to know that we, have, we believe in a literal devil, okay? And the reason that we believe in a literal devil is because Jesus believed in a literal devil. The devil is not some personification of evil that's left over from some pre-scientific superstitious time, but the devil is real. The devil has a real agenda, and we really, really, really need to pay attention to what he is trying to do in our lives if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so on a side note, I just want to let you know that we here at Edge City Church, right, Mineola, Little Neck, we are all, we all are trying our best to make the devil mad. Can I get an amen? You see, the devil does not like salvations. He does not like church plants. He does not like gatherings just like this that we're doing. He does not like people meeting Jesus. He does not like activities that we're going to be doing after church today to reach the neighborhood, right? He doesn't like people knowing about him. And by God's grace and by God's empowerment, it is our commitment here at Edge City Church to make the devil mad. You see, the devil is real, and, the, and there is a good, and there is an evil, and there is a God in heaven who loves us, and there is an enemy who wants to stop the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to minimize the word and the work of our God in our lives. You see, but what tends to happen with Christians is when we're thinking about the truth is that Christians will tend to go one out of two ways with this, right? So on one hand, you got like hyper-spiritual Hector. Hyper-spiritual, sorry if there's any Hectors in here. Hyper-spiritual Hector, you know, he accredits every bad thing that happens in his life to the devil, and so you got, you know, I got a flat tire on my way to church this morning. Well, the devil popped my tire, 
because the devil does not want me to go to church, so the devil must have popped my tire, right? Well, yeah, maybe, maybe the devil popped your tire, or maybe you just need to sweep out your garage because you ran over a nail. And so there's hyper-spiritual Hector on one end, but on the other end, which I think is more prevalent among us, there's a lot of Christians who follow Jesus with their lives without any awareness that we have an enemy, that we have an adversary. But the Bible says that we have an enemy. In John chapter 8, it says that he is the father of lies. In, in Romans, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says that he is the accuser of God's people. And so even though you never saw the devil, even though you have never heard the audible voice of, you know, of, of, of the devil, when, when you believe things that are not true of God and yourself, that thought right there is authored by the devil. Romans chapter 8 says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says this, that he is the accuser of God's people, right? So if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, place Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, but your voice, there's a voice saying that you are guilty. There is a voice saying that God is not going to love you. That thought right there was authored by the devil. We are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And Edge City Church, if we are going to follow Jesus, we need to know, much like Jesus in this text this morning, that we will be tempted by the devil. So in this morning's text, I want to just kind of just get some insights from this text here out of the way Jesus does battle with the devil. So we're going to see Jesus go into a season of temptation. He is in the wilderness by the devil for 40 days. And this is right before Jesus goes into his public ministry. But what happens is that Jesus is sent by the Spirit out to be tempted by the devil. And there is another monumental milestone that happens in Jesus' life, and that is his baptism. And so it was at his baptism that a voice comes down from heaven, and the voice from heaven says, You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. The, the very next scene that we see is Jesus is now being sent out to be tempted. Now, now listen, I think there are these two, these two events are back to back in scripture. It's not by coincidence, in my opinion. I don't think this is an accident here. Right? I think there is a definite purpose for this to be back-to-back. -back. So listen, Edge City Church, this is why if you are going to fight the attack of the devil, you need to know the approval of the Father. Before you fight the attack of the enemy, you need to know the approval of the Father. If you are going to be someone that says no to the proposals of the devil, you need to, to be someone that learned to stand firm on the promises of God. Amen? And Edge City Church, if Jesus 
God incarnate, eternally existed with God the Father, if Jesus needed to be reminded of his identity in his relationship with God, if he needed the voice of God reminding him that you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased, before that temptation, how much more do we? How much more do we? If we're in Christ, we need it to be reminded every day that there is a God in heaven who loves us. Right? That if we would just place our faith in Jesus, he looks down on us and he says that God says, you are my beloved child, I love you, and with you I am well pleased. Let's read chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I want to start this morning by talking about Jesus' baptism here, okay? It says this. It reads like this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up from the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heavens saying, you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. So the first point is this is in Christ, God is well pleased with you. In Christ, God is well pleased with you. Let's take a look at these next verses and and kind of just unpack this today. And so one of the natural questions is that, that we ask, right, is that, well, you know what, why is Jesus baptized in the first place? And I'm going to put a pause on that question right now. We're going to answer that question at the very end of this sermon. So I want you to think about that. First, I want to take a look here at what happens at Jesus' baptism, and I want to draw some insights from that. You see, it was at Jesus' baptism that we got one of the most clear pictures of the Trinity in all of scriptures. You see, the Christian theology is of the teaching of the Trinity is this, is that there is one God, right, who has eternally existed in, in three persons, right? Three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are not saying that this is tritheism, right? You may ask, well, Pastor Finn, what is tritheism? I'm glad you asked. This is tritheism. Tritheism is that there is three gods who work in unity. Now, this is not modalism. You may ask, well, what is modalism, Pastor Finn? I'm glad you asked. Modalism, which is talked about by some popular preachers today, we got to be careful. Modalism is this. It's saying that there is one God, one person, who demonstrates himself through different modes in different periods of times. That's incorrect. You see, there is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is one God who exists in three persons. According to the Bible, the Word of God, the Fa- there is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all glorify and they all point and they all give deference to each other. And it is at Jesus' baptism that we see the Holy Spirit descending, right, uh, uh, coming down to Jesus and empowering him to work in the ministry. We see a voice of God, the Father, speaking life, truth into the Son saying that you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. 
And you see, all throughout the gospel, we see Jesus constantly deferring glory to God the Father, right? And it's, it's, he's saying, it's not about me. It's not about my will. I come to serve him. I serve God the Father. In John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, he's praying to God the Father, and he says, you know, he says this, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with glory that I have with you before the world began. You see, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each one of these persons are the Trinity, and they are all giving glory, deferring to other members of the Trinity. Right? And there is this life-giving, other-centered, perfect loving, affirming community within our one God that has existed in eternity past. God has always existed in community with love and affirmation. The great C.S. Lewis says it like this. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, he said it this way. He says that in Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life almost a kind of drama, almost, if you would not think of me irreverent, almost a kind of a dance. He's saying that for eternity past, within God, there has been an others-glorifying, an other-centered relationship within God. And so here's why this matters for you and I. This is why it matters. You see, each one of us was created by God, right? Created in the image of the triune God. And what that means is that inside of you is this need for love and to be loved. And that is, and that is not a sign of weakness. There's this fundamental desire in your heart for affirmation and for acceptance. And that's not just a result of some voice in your heart from a, a less than ideal childhood that you had. There is this need in you for love and acceptance and approval that was put there by God to drive you into relationship with God. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that the triune God said, let us, the Trinity, make man in our image. And so we are designed to, to live a life of other-centered community and relationship with God. Not that we are members of the community because we're, we're not divine, right? But we live in a relationship with the Trinity, deferring glory to him, receiving love and affirmation from our relationship with our Father, God. And here's what the scripture said. The scripture says that we are designed. We are designed for community with God. But the thing is, sin has separated us with God. And each one of us are, are guilty of sin in our attitude, in our actions, in our behavior, in our thought, in the word, in, and in deed as well. And every person, right, we have done things that we should not have done. And that is called sins of commission, right? And we have done, not done good things that we should have done. And that is called sins of omission, and so the relationship we are designed to experience is in a loving, relational, affirming, triune relationship with, with God that has just been broken. 
And naturally, we are not children of God, but we are children of wrath. And God is the holy and the righteous God. And that we are sinners by nature and by choice. And then rather than living in a community with God and giving God the glory and deferring glory to God, so many of us have chosen to live a self-chosen existence. Right, to live lives that are centered around our own needs, around our own wants, around obedience to our own wills. Because that we have this propensity to, to look for things for affirmation, to look for things for acceptance in like a thousand other places around us other than God. And we look for acceptance and approval in things that we cannot, we can accomplish in careers that we can develop in, in just all the kinds of the different people that we can date, all the, you know, the, the kind of spouses that we can marry, our, our religious performance and academic achievements and the accolades that we can receive. We have just become approval addicts who are living our lives like we are on stage waiting for the applause of the crowd. And you see, Jesus, Jesus did not live for the approval of others. Why? You know why? Because he listened to the approval he has from God the Father at his baptism. Heaven itself opens up and the Father says, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus enjoyed an uninterrupted, unhindered relationship with God the Father. And now here's the good news of the gospel. I, I, you know, Jesus, he, he takes our place on the cross so that we could receive his place as the, the son, right? On the cross, Jesus receives the wrath of God that we deserved so that we could receive the fellowship with God that only he deserves, it was on the cross. And the good news is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, right, that you are a child of God. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, To those who received him, he gave the right to be the children of God. Romans chapter 8 says this, We have been adopted as children of God. And that his spirit testifies with my spirit that we are his beloved children. Listen, if you have trusted in Jesus, right, and that when you hear the affirmation, the love of the Father God speaking to the Son, you can hear the voice of God the Father speaking to your own heart as well, that in Christ you are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. Let me just stay here for a moment here, because you, you, need, you need to know that if you are a child of God, God is pleased with you, okay? If you have trusted in God, if you trusted in Jesus, that God is not mad at you. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, God loves you. God, God cares for you. He knows you, right? He accepts you. Jesus Christ hung on a tree, taking the wrath that you and I deserved so that you could receive a life-giving, joy-filling, others-created fellowship with God that only he deserves. And I want us to really get this this morning, right? Because I feel that there's so many of us that just kind of chug through life 
as spiritual orphans. Right? We are just discouraged and depressed and just downtrodden. And what that means is that if you have trusted in Jesus, that it doesn't matter that you're not sitting with the cool kids at school, right? Because God loves you. If you trusted in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go your whole life waiting for the approval of your dad who, you never, who never told you that he was proud of you. You need to tune into the voice of God that says, you are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. If you trusted in Jesus, then you need to know that the measurements of this world that are used to define success don't apply to you and I. It doesn't matter that you can balance your checking account, the number of degrees that you have, the religious accolades, the number of people that you report to at work, uh, how much money you make, your drive, where you live. Your identity, value, and worth is found in the voice of the eternal Father saying, you are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. Now, you might be thinking, well, Finn, you started off talking about the devil and temptation, and all you've been talking about is being a child of God, right? And like affirmed and being accepted in him. Let me explain why. Because I want, I want, I want, I want to take us into our next point here as we get back into our text. Because in verse 12, this is what it says, okay? In verse 12, it says this. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness... And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And so my second point today is this, is that the gospel is my defense in temptation. The gospel is my defense in temptation. Here's what I mean by that. You see, right before the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and let me just pause right there and say, by the way, you know, God never tempts us, okay? The book of James says that God is not a tempter, but the devil is the one that tempts us. But the Spirit of God will allow us to be tempted by Satan for certain purposes, and so, and Jesus, to fulfill his mission, his grand mission on this earth, had to, to face this temptation on our behalf in our place so that he can overcome that temptation, so that he could be our victor and be our substitute in that temptation. But right before the Spirit leads him out to be tempted, God assures him to Jesus that you are my son and with you I am well pleased. And here's why, right? The, the way that Jesus responds and withstands the temptations of the devil is the assurance that he has the love of the Father. The strength that Jesus has to fight the temptations of the devil is knowing with certainty that the Heavenly Father loves him, approves of him, and is well pleased with him. And so let me just unpack that here. The, the temptation scene that we see in Mark actually shows up in Matthew, in, in Mark, and in Luke as well. And Mark is kind of like this um, Cliff Notes gospel here. It's one of the quickest, fast-paced 
Gospels. And so a lot of times, um, the Gospel writer, Mark, he leaves out a lot of the details here. And so we can get a little bit more detailed as we look at the other Gospels. And so I want us to take a look at Matthew's Gospels, Gospel really, really quick here, where we get a little bit more detail on this scene. Okay, so I want to show you how Satan tempts Jesus on the, in this scene. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus' secure identity with the Father now enables him to fight the temptation of the devil. The devil tempts Jesus with three things. Three things. The devil tempts Jesus with comfort, with security, and with power. With comfort, with security, and with power. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. It reads like this. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So what is he tempting him with there? Comfort, right? Comfort. He's saying, Jesus, you have been fasting for 40 days and you are hung hungry. You are uncomfortable here. Why don't you take comfort into your own hands? You've been starving for 40 days you know, and you think God cares about, you, about your comfort, right? You think God is going to provide for you? Come on now. Are you kidding me, right? God is not going to provide for you. You need to take matters into your own hands. You need to be centered in yourself. You are the son of God. So turn these stones into food. Don't trust God. Why don't you do it? Why don't you take comfort into your own hands? How does Jesus respond to that? He quotes, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, where it says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus is saying, my comfort isn't in what I eat. That's not what sustains me. I am a child of God. He loves me and he approves of me. And I, I live by hearing the words of God. So don't tempt me with the comfort. Satan then comes back at him and he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. Right? It's good. The devil is even quoting the Bible here, right? How good is that? Right? Don't you know that the devil knows the Bible? Right? And, he, and he's going to use the Bible against you and I. When Satan is attacking here, is that he's, he's dangling right in front of Jesus his security dangling right in front of him. And he's saying, Jesus, if God really takes care of you, then what? you know what? Make God prove it then, right? You're not secure in God. What are you talking about? If you were, then why don't you just jump off this cliff? You need to take the security into your hands. You need to center around your life. You need to take care of number one, that is yourself. And what does Jesus say? He quotes scripture again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. He is saying, no, God is my security. I don't need to, I don't need to test him. I am his child. I am his beloved son. And with me, he is well pleased. Lastly, the devil tempts Jesus with power. It says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. In other words, Jesus, why, would you just defer your glory to God? Like, you think God 
is going to give you glory? You think God is going to give you power? You think God is going to give you an inheritance? Jesus, let's talk about how this is going so far for you, okay there? Think about it, Jesus. You were born to a teenage mom and dad. You grew up in relative obscurity, in poverty, and you were swinging a hammer. <laughs> look, at, look, look at the glory of the world. Like, this all could be yours, Jesus. Why don't you just give up the hammer, right? And why don't you just bow your knees to me, and I will give you power, and I will give you glory. And Jesus says in the next verse, Jesus says this, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Right? Jesus is like, nope, I'm going to worship God. I get my glory, my power, my worth from worshiping God. And listen, Edge City Church, it is the very same lie that, that, that Satan wants to use to tempt you as you seek to follow Jesus as well. The devil wants to dangle right in front of you comfort, security, and power right in front of us. And he wants to convince us that God is not enough. He wants to convince us that we need to take matters into our own hands. And the devil might say, oh, God hasn't provided a spouse for you, right? And your five-year plan, psh, that came and gone 10 years ago. Right? You need to, you, you, you are still single and you are miserable. You need to take those stones of desire for companionship and turn them into bread and eat it. Do you think God is going to provide a spouse for you? Get real. He, he is a joke. You need to lower your standards because he doesn't care. And you need to find comfort in yourself. The devil's going to say, you know what? You want a better job? Come on. Right? You, you need to force this on your own. You think God is going to be your provider, your security? You think God is playing by the rules of the marketplace? If you do that, you think you're going to get ahead in your workplace? Get lost, right? He, he doesn't care about you. You want to live in this world? Then you got to play by the rules of this world. You got to compromise. You got to take security into your own hands. You want out of your marriage? God wants you to be happy. He, he, he doesn't want you to be stuck in that miserable marriage when very clearly that you could be a much better version of yourself by being with someone else. Just make that decision. Pull that trigger. You need to take things into your own hands because you cannot trust God right now. Do you see how Satan tempts us? Do you see how Satan is tempting you right now? What are the lies that you have been hearing from the father of lies where you have been tempted to compromise? Listen, how do you do battle with the devil? This is how you do it. It's not with a vial of holy water in your pocket, right? It's not with the Hollywood cross that you pull out, that you hold out. It is with the gospel, the gospel of God in our heart and the word of God in our head that we do battle with Satan and his lies and his accusations to know who you are and whose you are. And the way that we fight temptation isn't by avoiding sin. It is by developing and fostering a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
reminding ourselves of the gospel every day, just like Jesus was reminded that you are a child of God. You have everything that you need in Christ. And we preach that gospel to ourselves every day. Listen, this is not cycle, this is not like psycho babble right here. This is not a feel-good talk that I'm talking about right now. This is spiritual warfare. And you need to let the word of God speak into your heart, just like the father spoke down to his son that you are his beloved son, beloved child. You are a child of God. And if you have to be secure in that identity, if you have any chance to withstand the attacks of the enemy, amen? Our comfort is in Jesus Christ. Our security is in Jesus Christ. Our po- the power and glory isn't found in Jesus Christ. I was thinking about how the devil has been tempting me recently, right? And I was thinking about like through discouragements that I get from the enemy. And the devil constantly shows me. He says, Finn, you know what? Look at all the people at Edge City Mineola. You, you think you're, you want to be the pastor of these people? You know, you, you think they're going to follow your leadership? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, you, you're a joke. Like, you've been a youth pastor most of your life. Now, five years, you, you've been a lead pastor. You still can't do it. You know, you're underqualified. And I'm like, but I got, I got my master's. No, you're still underqualified. You're uneducated. But, I, you know, I, I have years of experience. I have 20 years. No, you, you don't have years that other, other pastors have, right? You're ill-equipped. You don't know enough. You cannot lead these people. You are a complete joke, Finn. Look at you. What are you doing? Why don't you just give up? Just give up. And in those moments, how do I fight the devil? I fight the devil with the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for me. Colossians chapter 1, the Spirit of God lives inside of me. 1 Peter 5, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus doesn't need my competency. Jesus doesn't need my cleverness. He doesn't need any of that. He needs a surrendered heart and a will that is obedient to him. Jesus is our chief shepherd, and get behind me, Satan. The gospel is our defense in temptations. Edge City Church, how about you? When the devil tempts you, look to Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself. When Satan tells you that you are guilty anyway, why don't you just give in? You have done this a thousand times before. You look to Jesus and you say, no, I am not guilty. My guilt was taken, you know, on the cross by Jesus, that I am a son, I'm a child of God. And I can say not to the no to the devil, and I can say no to sin by the grace of God. When the devil says that you don't have enough, you need to work harder to achieve, right, to get ahead, to, you need to cut the line, you need to provide for yourself, you look to Jesus, but who is the giver of every good thing and every perfect gift. You look to your inheritance that is waiting for you on the other side of this life, and you say, all I need is Jesus Christ. When Satan tells you that you have nothing to offer in ministry, that you are a joke, that you, you know, you you don't have the love, right? When when you cannot serve on the team, that, you know, you, you can't do this. You look to Jesus Christ who has died for you, who has filled you with the Holy Spirit for ministry. 
And when Satan tells you that you are a nobody, nobody cares about you, you are worth nothing, you look to Jesus who has given his very life for you and you find value in him so that God the Father can speak into your soul and say, you are my beloved child and with you I am well pleased. You see how that works? That is the gospel of temptation, the gospel of defense against temptation. I want to close out here by giving one quick point of application coming out of this sermon. And, and the Spirit might be speaking to you right now in various ways, right, as you're hearing from God. And I want you to follow that. But I want to suggest one thing before I close that God might have for us this morning. I want to, I want to go back to that first question that I asked in the beginning of this sermon, right? Why did Jesus get baptized anyway? Why? The ministry of, you know, like, the ministry of John the Baptist was a baptism of repentance of sins. So that ministry was for sinners, right? Where symbolically you go down into the waters and then you come back up again to symbolize that I am done with my old way and that I'm going to follow God now. But you see, Jesus, Jesus was not a sinner, though. So he didn't have any sins. He didn't need to repent of anything. So why was he baptized then? So I was doing a lot of research um, for this sermon and just, uh, just doing research for this. I was reading a lot of commentators on this subject. And so, you know, some commentators speculate that it was because Jesus was our high priest. So that's in the Old Testament. When the priest becomes a priest, he would have to go and go through ceremonial washing. So maybe this is Jesus' ceremonial washing here. Right? That, that might be true. Okay, that's a good point. Others speculate that this was Jesus' way to endorse his public ministry of John the Baptist. That's a good point. That might be true, too. Okay. Other writers suggest that this is Jesus' way of identifying with sinners. That in his humility, he didn't need to be baptized, but he did as a way to identify with us. Well, that might be true as well. Do you know the reason that the Bible gives us for why Jesus was baptized? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't tell us specifically why he does. It just says he was. And so I want to propose what may be a better question for us to ask. Why was Jesus baptized? And the question is that if you are a follower of Jesus, and if Jesus was baptized, wouldn't it make sense that you would follow Jesus in obedience to be baptized as well. See, we don't know why Jesus was baptized, but we do know why, why he tells us to be baptized. Because Romans 6 says that in baptism, we are uniting ourselves with Jesus. In his life, death, burial, and resurrection, when we go under the water, we are symbolizing that I am with Jesus Christ. His life, his burial, his resurrection counts for me. And so, Edge City Church, I want to end by encouraging us, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've never been baptized, would you follow Jesus in these steps to be explore baptism? And I want to encourage you to sign up for these baptism classes that we are doing um, in these weeks as well. And so you can go on our website, you can speak to one of the leaders here. And so at this time, I'm going to close uh, with this as I invite the worship team to come forward. Um, and I want, I want to invite you to close your eyes and to bow uh, your head with me as we kind of meditate on what we just heard. Allow that to ruminate in our hearts right now. 
hear the voice of God saying that you are my beloved child, right? You are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus, this morning we hear the words of God the Father saying, you are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus, this is this morning is in worship and in joy in our head. We just say thank you, Lord. Just thank you, God. We come with thankful and grateful hearts because we never deserve to hear that statement from God. But Jesus, you paid the price. You earned the favor of God that we never could. Jesus, as we get out of here today, we're going to face a thousand attacks from the enemy. And would the gospel be close to our hearts? Would the word of God be ready in our hearts that we would speak truth where we are hearing lies? That we would proclaim the grace of God where there is condemnation? That we would walk in step with you, O Lord. God, I pray that you would challenge all of us to take next steps to be followers of Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.